Last time we began to explore the description of the New Jerusalem, the city of God which will one day descend from heaven. We'll stay on this thought today as we continue to examine the particular stones that adorn its wall. Let's join Pastor Phil now for our study. In verse 21, it says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, again, like transparent glass. This is where we get the phrase, the pearly gates of heaven. So that is biblical, all right? (laughs) Each of these gates is made from a single pearl. As somebody has said, I like to see the oysters that these (laughs) pearls came from. Do you realize that a pearl is the only natural gem created by a living organism? Do you realize that? They tell me, and I did a little reading on pearls in preparation for this study, and they say that when a little speck of dust or sand uh, gets into the mollusk or the oyster, it becomes an irritant. And so the little creature secretes a substance called nacre. To, to cover this thing. So it stops uh, irritating it. And the more the irritation goes on, the more it secretes this nacre until it builds up layer after layer. And that's what forms a pearl. You know that Jesus likened us to pearls of great price in Matthew 13. Of course, being pearls of great price, we were at one time an irritant to God because we were sinners. But, you know, as we've received Christ and Jesus has covered us in his blood and righteousness, uh, I think that as Christians, we become more and more precious in the sight of God as God brings things into our life that do tend to create an irritation where, you know, in a sense, it's the tears of the saints and the things that we go through that allows us to become more and more like Jesus and become more and more precious in the sight of God. It's, it's the idea that without the irritations of life, and some of the irritations, you might say, well, irritations, I've got full-blown pain here. It's not irritation. It's, it's bad. That's true. And I'm certainly not trying to minimize whatever you're going through uh, because trials can become very severe. But it's the trials of life that cause us to really become more and more like Christ. Layer after layer as we go through the trial and God, you know, through the tears that we may shed, but God is using it to build us up and to make us more and more into the image of Christ, something precious in his sight that he can eventually put on display to show the rest of the world, this is what I want. I want to take you from, you know, just being a, just a sinner, an irritant, to something that's precious to me. And uh, that, of course, starts with our commitment to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and then from that point to walk with him each day. So here we see the 12 gates of pearl, no doubt spaced in perfect symmetry. The whole city is perfectly symmetrical. So you got a 
mile long wall on either side, north, south, east, and west. Imagine three gates. I imagine the gates spaced several hundred miles apart, just perfect, you know, perfect symmetry. God is not the author of confusion. God, you know, he's a perfect God. And so I just imagine the city is going to be perfect, perfect symmetry. See these 12 gates, each made out of a single pearl. And guess what? St. Peter is not standing by any of them. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. And that's the, that's the age-old joke, right? Yeah, you know, the, the old joke about when the, the guy who dies and gets to heaven and, and there by the pearly gates is St. Peter and you fill in the blank. Um, no, it's not going to be that way. Peter won't be there. He'll be uh, in the city with the rest of us enjoying the presence of God. But Henry Morris in his commentary says, although the description is not specific enough for us to be sure, it seems probable that these 12 gates extend upward through the entire height of the great walls, thus permitting access. See, he's a scientist. I never even thought about this. But he's, he's imagining this, the, the gates of the city going all the way up 1,500 miles. And he says that he imagines this because that would permit us access into the city at all different levels, okay? Because, you know, it's not just about moving horizontally in our glorified body. We're going to be zipping around up, down, every which way, you know? We don't need elevators in the, in the New Jerusalem. We'll just, boom, just ascend right to whatever level we're on, you know? Into your little cubicle, your 75-acre little cube there. Also, these gates, we are told, are never closed. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. The gates of the city are not ever closed because they're not needed for protection. Guess what? The Lord lives there. You know, in those days, in, in John's day, of course, you had to have walls around cities because you had to protect yourself. And at sundown, they would always close the, the gates of the city and bar them, of course, to protect the city from any kind of um, invaders or thieves and so on. And, uh, but see, in the New Jerusalem, we have these gigantic gates, but they're always open. Uh, first of all, there's no night there. Uh, but even if there was, it wouldn't matter because God's there. The Bible says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman labors in what? In vain. In vain. Well, the Lord's going to be there guarding the city. You know what that means, though? That means that the angels that we were introduced to in verse 12 that are standing by each of the, the gates, they're not there for any kind of protection or to guard the city. You know what they are? They're angelic doormen. Angelic doormen who, you know, welcome the saints into the city when they come or say goodbye to those that are leaving the city uh, either on planetary exploration or on uh, missions or, or uh, service for the king. You say, what well, service for the king? That's right. Chapter 22, verse 3 tells us we're going to be busy in heaven serving the Lord. See, this idea that we're going to be sitting on a cloud for eternity playing a harp, first of all, that doesn't really appeal to me, although I'm sure it would be a real nice cloud, but... You have to understand that God created us to be productive. Not that we're not going to have plenty of time in heaven to have leisure and recreation, to have fellowship. But I believe one of the things that's going to make heaven heaven and so full of joy is that we're going to be able to serve the king without distractions, without the flesh, without sin, without having to sleep, without having to be oppressed and persecuted. We're going to be able to go, and I, and I don't even know what all that means. I mean, it's all speculation. 
But I, I just imagine that God is going to be sending us out on trips of service for him, whatever that's going to entail, different parts of the universe. It's going to be spectacular. I don't know what kind of work uh, we're going to be doing for the Lord, but I guarantee you it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Verse 22 says, John says, I, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, there are two Greek words for temple in the New Testament. One means the actual temple building with the holy place and the holy of holies. And the other is a word that is used to, to signify the entire temple area with all of its courts and various. It was, it was a pretty large area in uh, John's day, in Jesus' day as well, covered many acres. All right. Uh, the word here is naos, and it is the word for the temple building itself. John is a little flabbergasted. He's Jewish. All his life, he has, you know, he has lived at a time when the temple has been standing in Jerusalem. Quite a structure, by the way. After Zerubbabel and Joshua came out of the Babylonian captivity and, and led people back to Jerusalem to repatriate the land and to, uh, to rebuild the, the city of Jerusalem and, and the temple, when they finally got it finished, and it took a while, they got discouraged along the way many times, they had to got to raise up prophets to encourage them to keep going. At one point he said, look, why is it that you finished your houses and you're enjoying your homes, but my house is, is in ruins still? Now, is it any wonder why I haven't been blessing you? You work and you work and you put your money in the, pocket, in the bags with holes in it. You work and work and you're never full. You don't uh, never have enough. Why is that? Because you're not putting me first, God said. Your priorities are all out of whack. He said, rebuild my house. Bring the sacrifices into my house and I will bless you again. And that's a good word for all of us. When we get our priorities out of whack and begin to put our own physical comforts and pleasures above the work and service of the king. He should always be first, right? So when they finally finished this temple, it was a pretty low-budget deal. Well, you can imagine. I mean, Solomon had all the resources he needed to build the first temple. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was so beautiful. Well, this rebuilt temple was a pretty low-budget deal. But when Herod rose to power, because he was actually a descendant of Esau, not Jacob. He was not really a Jew. He was Idumean. He was uh, Edomite. But the Roman government liked him and put him into power as king of the Jews. And he knew that he was going to have to work hard to gain the Jews' favor. And so he, was, he worked overtime to do things that would ingratiate himself to them. One of the things was he took upon himself to refurbish the temple. And it took him 46 years to do it. I mean, he really poured a lot of money into this thing. And so in John's day, you had this temple, which again was one of the ancient wonders of the world at that time. And so John, as a Jewish man, has always had this image in his mind that you want to fellowship with God, you've got to take your sacrifice to the temple. Give it to the priest where he would offer on the, on the brazen altar of sacrifice, and then he would go into the first compartment of the holy place, and he would burn incense for you, he would offer prayers to you, and so on. But that's how you commune with God back then. The New Jerusalem, John, as he's looking at the beauty, all of a sudden realizes there's no temple there. And that's because... The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, the whole idea behind the tabernacle and later the temple was a place where God and man could come together for fellowship. That was the goal. That's what God wanted from the beginning. When he made us, he wanted us to be in fellowship with him. Sin 
separated God and man. So God developed this very laborious and very tedious form of sacrifice, religion, Jewish faith, which allowed them to approach God again, but only through a mediator. They don't need a mediator anymore because Christ died, the Lamb of God who took away our sins. And it's interesting that in the New Jerusalem, we're not going to need a temple. You know why? The whole city is a holy of holies. Remember what Jesus said, in my Father's house are many what? Mansions. Do you know the Greek word is actually dwelling places? In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. You have to understand what Jesus is talking about. You see, in the temple, and I challenge you this week to look in your Bibles back in the Old Testament to where Solomon built the temple. And you will realize that you had the temple, which consisted of a building that had two compartments, the holy place and the holy of holies. But around the temple, there was, there were three, there was three flats all around the wall. All around the wall, you had three levels of apartments. You see, when the priests or the Levites would serve the Lord, there were so many of them that David divided them into 24 courses. And they each course served two weeks out of the year. So you have to leave your house, wherever you lived, come to Jerusalem. You needed a place to stay because you were serving the Lord basically day and night for those two weeks. And so they had these apartments, these dwelling places right there, connected to the temple where God dwelt. Remember what David said? And David had a pretty spectacular palace himself. He said, one thing I have desired from the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David was a king. I really believe in my heart he wanted to be a priest. I believe if David could have had his way, he would have traded the office of king. He could have been a priest and could have lived in a dwelling place right there, connected to the temple where he could forever behold the beauty of the Lord. Well, someday we are going to live in the Father's house. The New Jerusalem is the Father's house. It's the place Jesus had been preparing for us for many years. And we're going to live right there. I would imagine that you're going to have this city. And right in the very heart of it is going to be the throne of God. And all around it is going to be dwelling places, the places that we live. We're all going to be right there. We're all going to, of course, everything is transparent, it seems like. So we're going to be able to behold the beauty of the Lord 24 hours a day. I mean, it's going to be spectacular. A total place of communion and fellowship. That's why it's called a, uh, the temple of God. He is the temple. You don't need a, a building anymore. Verse 23. John goes on, The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Well, we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John 9 verse 5, Jesus said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6 verse 16, God who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light. Now, that doesn't mean that the sun and moon and stars will not also be around. 
In fact, we know they will be. You say, well, how do we know that? Well, in Psalm 148, verse 3, the psalmist said, Praise Him, sun and moon, praise Him, all you stars of light. Verse 6, He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. So we know that in the new heavens, the new universe, you're going to still have the sun, the moon, and the stars, although they also will be brand new. You're going to have them, but you know what? They're not going to be needed to light the city because God himself will light the city. God's glory, his, his radiance, his radiant glory is going, to, is going to light the city up. I would imagine you're going to see this thing from outer space a great ways away. So we know that the sun, moon, stars are not going to just be, you know, like God's not going to, he's going to do away with them. They're going to be around. But you have to understand the glory of this city is going to outshine all of those celestial luminaries. It's going to be an incredible thing. I want to show you uh, a scripture I thought was interesting. Uh, turn to Isaiah 60. And uh, let's pick it up in verse 18. Isaiah 60, starting in verse 18. Now, this is talking about the very thing we're studying about. This is a prophecy about the new Jerusalem, all right? It says, Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Kind of talking about the new Jerusalem, how that there's going to be no violence in this city. I mean... Every city on the face of the earth has got some kind of violence. This city will be free of violence, and it's going to be God's city. Its walls are going to be called salvation, and its gates praise. Verse 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down. Nor shall the moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Now that last verse is interesting to me because it seems to be referring to the millennial kingdom. In the eternal state, I don't see anything about anybody having children. Now, we, we might be wrong. I don't know. The Bible, though, is silent on that. Uh, Jesus did say that in heaven, we're going to be like the angels of God. We're neither going to marry nor give in marriage. And so I, I have to believe that in the eternal state, there will be no reproduction and that kind of thing. So this last statement connected to the new Jerusalem, a little one should become a thousand. Well, that's because that most people are going to live for the whole thousand years in the millennial kingdom. You have a lot of a gigantic population explosion. Sickness will be almost non-existent. And death, although it will be there, will be very rare. So you're going to have a population explosion during the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Some people believe, and I'm just throwing this out to you based on maybe what we're reading here, that when John sees the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven in chapter 21 to the earth, 
That's not the first time this thing appears. There are some who believe that the New Jerusalem is actually going to orbit the earth during the Millennial Kingdom. Because that's where we're going to live. The saints, the church, are going to live there. And we're going to commute from the New Jerusalem, which is orbiting the earth, to the earth to rule over various areas which God is going to give to us. Uh, those who are faithful, the Bible says God will reward us with areas of responsibility. And some people believe that the New Jerusalem will actually be seen during the Millennial Kingdom. It will be orbiting the earth. And then finally, at the end of the thousand years, God will bring it to the earth. We'll, be, we'll, become, we'll become the capital, not only of the new earth, but of the new universe. Now, I just throw that out for your consideration because without reading this verse uh, in Isaiah, uh, verse 22 in particular, which seems to connect reproduction to the New Jerusalem uh, in the sense that people are going to be having kids when the city is uh, around, uh, that might be a plausible interpretation that it will be seen. And there's a lot of people that firmly believe that during the Millennial Kingdom, the New Jerusalem will be very much seen in the heavens orbiting the earth and that we will actually be living there during the thousand year reign of Christ and uh, commuting back and forth. Of course, with our glorified bodies, that won't be a problem. Okay. But anyways, verse 24, Revelation 21, John says, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Now, this has stumbled a lot of people, and because of this, a lot of people do believe that chapter 21 is actually talking again about the millennial kingdom. I don't see it that way. I think that revelation has, has flowed chronologically pretty much. We've already dealt with the millennial kingdom. I just mentioned the New Jerusalem orbiting the earth possibly during the millennial kingdom because that could have been going on during that thousand years. And as we come into the eternal state, chapter 21, it, John sees it coming down to the earth out of heaven that God maybe brings it to the earth and that's where it settles, okay? But because of this verse, a lot of commentators can't get it into their... They can't deal with the fact that there's going to be nations on the earth. Uh, the nations of those who are saved. Of course, only saved people will populate these nations, which can't be the millennial kingdom because in the millennial kingdom, you're going to have unbelievers. So I do believe this is the eternal state. But the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. So what is going on here? Well, the word nations is the Greek word ethnos, and uh, often it's translated people, but most frequently in the Bible it's translated Gentiles. Gentiles. And uh, there are those that believe that, and J. Vernon McGee, who I respect, love, and really enjoy his commentaries, uh, J. Vernon believes that uh, the New Jerusalem will only be for the church. That Israel and the redeemed nations. Now, when he says that, he's talking about people that got saved before the church started or people that got saved after the church was raptured out of here. He believes they're going to live on the earth. They're going to be the nations. Okay, they're all saved. But they're going to be the nations, and J. Vernon believes that saved Israel will also be living on the earth because... The New Jerusalem is called the Bride City. It's a city of the bride. We said, well, yeah. I mean, that's we know that. The bride is going to, the church is going to definitely live there. But it could be that Israel, redeemed Israel, might live there as well. We don't know for sure. We're speculating a lot of this, okay? 
Uh, but this verse 24 is very interesting because it does indicate that there are going to be people where the New Jerusalem is not their home. They're, they're, they're coming to it. They're making pilgrimages to it. They're allowed to enter. They're saved. But they're you know, living on the earth during the new, the new earth, the new heavens, and so on. And some of them are kings. What does that mean? Well, it could mean that some of these folks who were very faithful to the Lord during, we'll say, the, the uh, tribulation period, right? There's a lot of people who are going to get saved during the tribulation period. They're going to be persecuted and tortured tremendously. And a lot of them, most of them, well, they're all going to actually go to their death being faithful to the Lord. And so they're going to be rewarded during this new phase of creation. And they could very well be given positions of authority as kings on the earth. Of course, they're nothing. They know that. They're subordinate to the king of kings and lord of lords. And so they bring their glory into the city to lay it at the feet of Jesus because he's the real king that we all worship, right? So I don't know, this is speculation. You know, the more you read this, the more you're thinking, Lord, you know, I'm having a hard time comprehending all of this. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.